The anguish and uncertainty of the families of the disappeared can last forever. Of key importance in many societies is recognizing the right of these families to know what happened to their loved ones. Those were the words of founding member and president of the Argentine Forensic Anthropology Team, Dr. Luis Fonderbreeder, speaking on March 9, 2019 at the BMICH in Colombo. Dr. Fonderbreeder spoke of respecting humanity in the scientific search for truth in a wide-ranging lecture marking one year of operation of the Office on Missing Persons in Sri Lanka. Dr. Fonderbreeder's words had particular resonance given the recent release of the results of a carbon dating report of six bone samples recovered from a mass grave site unearthed in Mena. The remains of over 300 people were found at the site, including children. There has been much speculation, conjecture and sensationalization around the discovery. The results from the carbon dating report, carried out by the Beta Analytics Lab in Florida, showed that the samples belonged to the period from 1499 to 1719 AD. But this is just the first step in a long and complicated process, as Dr. Fonderbreeder explained in his lecture, which included examples drawing from his own home country. And in that process, it is important to remember the lives of those who have been discovered and the wishes of their family members as being central. Listen to the lecture coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here today. I want to start with uh, paying tribute to women. Yesterday was International Women's Day around the world. If I'm here today, it's because women in my country 40 years ago lead the struggle for truth and justice for our disappearance. I need the same around the world. Women are always the lead. So they show the pattern to us. So for us, the Women's Day is every day, not only one day. Also, I want to thank the Office of the Missing Persons. It's, uh, one year is a reason to celebrate, to reflect what has been good, bad, what improved, and the way forward. The world congratulates Sri Lanka government for the creation of this important office, but of course generates a lot of expectations and hopes, especially in the families of the victims, but I would say the whole Sri Lanka society. So really we were looking and for the path forward for the commission, and I hope soon could be start giving answers to the families. So, violence is present in our daily life in many, many ways, but uh, some type of violence is especially critical. When the violence is related to political reasons, to ethnic conflict, to religious conflicts, the consequences are huge. Displacement of the population. In some countries, people have to leave and never come back. Torture to people, women, men, children, and the consequence of torture. 
And of course, the disappearance of people. Disappearance, killing, with a long result of the families don't know about the loved ones. The anguish and uncertainty stay forever for the families. And very often, part of the world, a key element in transition to democracy, to peace, is to know what happened with the disappearance. And in many cases, who commit the crimes. And again, the equipment are in the front line to human rights organizations asking for truth and for justice. Usually when we talk about these processes, we talk about five concepts that goes together. Truth, justice, reparation, memory, and reconciliation. This is universal, not any country uh, go away with this. And still, it's a decision of the society which way want to continue, how far wants to go with these five concepts. Along the years, in the last 40 years, different mechanisms have been created for the states to investigate what happened with these disappearances. First of all, the local mechanisms, judiciary, prosecutors, who investigate the cases to collect evidence, to identify the bodies, to prosecute the perpetrators. Also, the international communities have created a special mechanisms, like a special missions to investigate an incident. UN commissions of the inquiry for larger periods. The so-called Truth Commission had been already 50 Truth Commissions around the world, which is not a judicial body, but provide the official first picture about what happened in a country during the violence. Then we have five international tribunals created by the Security Council for the former Yugoslavia, Rwanda, Sierra Leone, Cambodia, and Lebanon. Also, we have nominal mechanisms like in Africa, when uh, African Union created uh, extraordinary African chambers to prosecute Hissie uh, Nabre. Then we have uh, International Penal Court who uh, investigate cases after 2002. Also, we had what is called humanitarian mechanisms, when the investigation is only related to recover and to identify the bodies, not to prosecute the perpetrators. This is happening in Cyprus, this is happening in Caucasus, when the both communities agree about that and not to investigate the responsibilities of the crimes. We have institutes for the missions, we have traditional mechanisms, like in Rwanda, the Gachacha. Also in Europe, Spain, after 40 years of Franco dictatorship and not doing anything for the disappear, starting in 2000, the movement of the historical memory, until today, is recovering bodies. Of course, we have the work of the local and international human rights organizations. And the more recent mechanism where Sri Lanka is there, are in Nepal, with the formation of the Commission to investigate the full disappearance after the peace agreement, Sri Lanka, with the offering of the missing persons, Peru, with the law of the search of the disappeared persons, and Colombia, which signs the peace very recently and created also comprehensive mechanisms. These four mechanisms are not totally humanitarian, neither totally criminal. It's a mix of both components it's very interesting to analyze.
So it's important to measure which are the difference between a criminal investigation and humanitarian investigation. The humanitarian, usually, there is no, the aim is not to prosecute the responsible of the crimes. There is only a judge or magistrate in charge, could be other bodies. Only identification of the body is the main purpose of the forensic work, not the cause of death very often. There is no analysis conduct of the associated evidence which could lead to link the crime with a perpetrator. Other forensic reports usually are not challenged in court. In the case of criminal investigation, is there is a prosecution of the perpetrators. Only a judge or a magistrate or a prosecutor is in charge of the investigation. Identification of the bodies is as important to establish the cause of death. Every grave is treated like a crime scene. And also the perpetrators have lawyers and sometimes they have their own forensic experts who have access to all the information to question the experts to review the reports. So these are the two differences of something that very often goes together. What happened with new mechanisms I created? Is by peace, a new space is open? And the main question, where are they disappear? Many people say they are alive, they are dead, but the families want to know exactly what happened with the loved ones. But also we have perpetrators, responsibilities, that's the line of the criminal investigation. So usually with a new mechanism is created, what I mentioned before, a commission of the missing person, a truth commission, the traditional state structures are not able to manage the problem. It's something different. First of all, is the credibility of the state institutions among the families. Second, is our cases are very politically sensitive. Then we are talking about large operations. Very often, the traditional forensic citizens is not able to cope with. We are not talking about one body, five bodies, sometimes we're talking about thousands of bodies in complex cases. Lack of information, because the perpetrators do not provide information about the whereabouts that disappear. Different kind of investigation is the main and important point, it's not an ordinary crime to investigate. Perpetrators are free. Fear of the victims, of the witnesses, of the situation. Very often after the conflict we have mines and explosive devices in the areas. These are complex cases, mass graves, bodies commingled, destroyed, it's not an easy scientific operation. And also the system has to deal with the daily cases, homicides, accidents, sexual violence, can say, no, we don't want more in this, we concentrate on that. So these mechanisms usually are created by a political decision by the government, by the parliament, usually because it was an internal pressure by the families or the organization of the families to do something, also sometimes because there are external pressure to other countries or international community. Typically, the victims and their families are not part of the discussions and the decision taken about this mechanism is decided by others. So say, very often they are invited to give a testimony, but they are not part of the decisions. 
with few exceptions. This mechanism is not for a short period, so it's very good, it's permanent here. But also, when this mechanism is created, it has a mandate, but there's almost nothing said in the law creating the new mechanism about the articulation of this new mechanism with the already existing state institution. And then became the problem. Which are the main state institutions who deal with investigation about the disappearance? Usually, Minister of Defense, Minister of Justice, magistrates, in some countries the prosecuting office, some countries the police, and the medical legal institute or the forensic service. Each of them have their own protocols, rules, but at the same time have their own history during the conflict and the families know about. That's the point about the credibility. Society usually in all of our countries have a low opinion about the state institutions. So very often the members of these state mechanisms are not prepared to deal with massive operation with thousands of witnesses, thousands of victims, and when the conflict has been for many years. Which are the usual mistakes? For the magistrates to assume to investigate a case of a political disappearance is the same as to investigate an ordinary crime. And that's the main mistake. One thing is to investigate one crime, another thing to investigate 20,000 or 30,000 crimes. The judicial power is not prepared for that. This exceptional thing is happening. The same thing for the forensic system. One thing to have a grave with one body, it's okay. But to have a grave with 50, 100, or 200 bodies in different conditions. Very few people or almost nobody in the world, forensic system is prepared for that from the beginning. Has to prepare for that. Also to assume that the relative of the disappear will trust in the state institutions. Typically they don't trust. The forensic system usually is not prepared for to receive large number of bodies, especially complex cases. No mortuary in the world is ready to receive 40 or 100 bodies in one day. So they need to a special operation, a special space. Also, it's a mistake to think that the DNA will solve the problem alone, the identifications. Okay? Magically, the DNA is going to identify anybody, and we know it's more complex, the scientific process of identification. And finally, to assume the forensic expert work in the daily cases and at the same time in these special cases. We need a specific, dedicated team for these kind of new cases. Which are the usual conflicts? The new mechanisms with attributions are not in the penal code. They are either in the Constitution. So it has a mandate, two pages, 20 pages, and that's all. So one of the first conflicts is between the magistrate, who has the power and the authority, and the commissioner, who is in charge of the process, how to work together. Then the official forensic expert very often have problems with the forensic expert contract by the new mechanism, how to work together. Also, who provides security to the mechanism in these operations? Usually needs to rely 
in the state institutions. Witness protection program, as all know, witness can be in danger with providing information. Access to a state archives, one of the most important and complex issues, how to access to those documents who mention operations, killing, disappearances. Where to store the information? In a safe place, secure for the families. And also, which is the role of the families in this process? Just samples providers or something more in this uh, investigation? Usually, this mechanism is created without a proper consultation with the main state institutions that are going to be involved. A political decision is taken without a proper consultation before. Some examples. In 1995, uh, the Dayton Agreement and the war in the Balkans was multiple agencies dealing with the bodies that creates confusion, lack of coordination, and no identification at the beginning. In Guatemala, signed the peace in 1996, and the institutions in Guatemala, very poor country, were not ready to deal with this kind of investigations. In East Timor was a referendum, 1999-2000, a new country was created, but external factors prevent investigations in, in deep. And finally, in Colombia, in 2005, a law was passed who demobilized the paramilitars who killed thousands of people, and they start providing information about the whereabouts that disappeared. was too much information to process by the state. So we need to start working and coordinating new mechanisms with the possibilities and the conditions of the context. Some key processes or large-scale operations around the world. There are not many. In South America, Argentina, Chile, Central America, Guatemala, more than 8,000 bodies record in the last 30 years. In the Balkans, since 1996, 10,000 bodies recovered. Spain, as I mentioned before, 7,500 bodies recovered. U.S., after 9-11, 3,000 victims, bodies fragmented, was also a key moment in investigations. Colombia, I already mentioned, 7,500 bodies mentioned. Iraq, since 2003, thousands of bodies recovered by the authorities from different periods of violence. And Cyprus, who have recovered 1,200 bodies. All these countries had to create special mechanisms to deal with these processes. The state institutions alone were not enough. They had to combine the new mechanism with the old ones to update to the situation. This is one of the lessons to learn from 40 years of experience around the world. At the same time, these mechanisms as science for support for all these things to investigate torture, recover bodies, identifications, cause of death, to see patterns. So science played a key role when we start to investigate the whereabouts of the missing, whereabouts of the disappeared. But we have very some common assumptions and misconceptions could uh, affect the process. First of all, the people think the forensic system is prepared for this kind of cases. We saw something different. 
Second, to think the, to open a grave and to identify the bodies is easy. The identification of the bodies which are not fresh, decomposed, is the most complex part of the forensic investigation. To identify the body is just a question of taking a sample for DNA. We today know has to be a multidisciplinary approach, not a single discipline can provide answers to everything. Not to pay attention to the cultural and religious aspects. In all of our cultures, we have a special treatment of dead bodies, special rituals. So we have to consider also when we have a legal investigation. Not to keep relatives or the victims informed is one of the things that is most annoying for the relatives. They want to know, they, right, they, not, they have the right to know what's going on with their case. And finally, to think the politicians, magistrates, lawyers, police, forensic people understand the complexity of the problem if we love each other and we work in coordination. <laughs> the reality, it is not. It's not like CSI, like in Bosch. Yeah. The reality is quite different. And that also is a problem for the investigation. So what is it proposed around the world is an integrated model of investigation. First of all, to know what happened with appeal, who, where, when, how, by whom. Then the collection of what is called anti-mortal information, to identify a body is to compare how was the person when alive with the body, and it's different kind of information, not only DNA. Then to the recovery of bodies in any kind of grave site. And finally, the analysis, when the body is going to be identified and to establish the cause of death. All this information has to be reconsidered to present a report, what is called a forensic integrated report to the magistrate to give a sentence. Also have been crucial the role of the NGOs around the world, usually composed by relatives of the victims, human rights activists, lawyers of the victim, volunteers. Typically, they have a bad relation with the state. But at the same time, it's the people with the most direct link with the families. It's the people who bridge, to create a bridge of confidence with the families, also fill the gap between investigators and the community, very often provide logistics and infrastructure in the field, but also the most important provides transparency and credibility to the process. Relation with the relatives for the forensic people, for the magistrates, is something very special also. To provide basic information before, during, and after the forensic investigations. Something families really want to know if there is a grave, when is one to be exhumed. They want to be present, to facilitate access to the sites, to address the concerns, the tasks, the questions and expectations, including the cultural and religious practices. And we see in many parts of the world, if this is not taken in consideration, could be a more suffering for the families, a more re-traumatization of the families. And we know the treatment of dead bodies is different around the world. Rituals are important in every culture, 
mourning process, burial of the body. That's a matter of the country or the religion. All will follow rituals. When there is no body, there is no ritual to follow. And the cosmogony leaves open. The play things are out of place. We have to think uh, we are investigating not someone who died, my grandfather who died for illness in bed. These deaths are unexpected. Usually young people who are living, full of dreams. But for the families, there is nobody to see. It's not enough. Someone tells him, is that forget about? No, families want to know, want to see the body, want to see something. Always they are living in uncertainty about what happened to the loved ones. In my country, with people disappeared 40 years ago, still today, when I go to visit a family, they leave the room of the child in the same condition as it was 40 years ago. Unless, why you do those? Maybe come back. Who is going to tell to this mother, no, forget about your child? So that is the anguish the families live every day. Also, we know exhumations sometimes are complex. Autopsies are complex. In some cultures, the autopsies are not authorized. It's not authorized to take samples of bodies because of religion, because of cultural practice. Also, DNA could be complex. As you know, we use typically saliva or blood. In some cultures, to use saliva is dirty. So we need to know which methodology used for DNA. As you can see, it's not just a technical operation. We need to understand the cultural patterns in the context. The identification process. When I arrived to East Timor 10 years ago, I meet uh, the community in one place with disappearance. I was a healer, was not a doctor, was a healer, a shaman. And he told me, we know how to identify bodies. Yes, how you do it? We put a blood in the bone. It's dry, this is the person we're looking for. It's still wet, it's not a person. I couldn't say that is not science. I said, very interesting, let's work together and let's see what we can understand each other. So the cultural practices always are in conflict with the law and the science, and we cannot ignore that. Times, once we take a sample for the family, there is a clock ticking. We cannot come back in three years and say, we don't know yet. The family have expectations. So the types of the families are different than the times of the politicians, the times of the magistrate and the time of science, because science is not magic. We have limitations. Very often, we don't know. We need to be very clear with the families about what we can do and we cannot. And of course, the legal closure is not like the emotional closure. These are the disciplines, typical disciplines in forensics, in criminalistics, used for investigations. Some of them are critical in this kind of cases. But the important thing is today in science, but in forensic science, as work is multidisciplinary. Doesn't exist around the world a forensic system only based on forensic pathologists. It's like an hospital. 
we don't have a general doctor talking about everything. We have cardiologists, traumatologists, etc., etc. It's the same. Nobody knows about everything. We need to rely on other disciplines to have a better result. But also, there are new disciplines have been incorporated, which are not traditional in the forensic uh, field. Social anthropology, to interview families, who have a specific approach. History, to analyze a conflict and documents. Journalists, very often the journalists are the first people to arrive to a crime scene, and they collect information that later is not recovered. Psychosocial support, today, all the process of exhumation, investigation of the missing have a psychosocial support component. Not only for the families, also for the investigators and forensic people. We need it. So it's critical to have before, during, and after psychosocial support. Physics, geography, military knowledge. This is, that's why we say it's not enough with the traditional forensic system. We need to incorporate other knowledge, which is not in the system, but is in the universities. Academy also have a role to play in this process. Academy train people, research, and combine with the forensic system. It's critical. So all this started in Argentina. I mean, the first application, a large scale of forensic science was in Argentina. My country had six military cups in the 20th century, and the last one was in 1976 and 1983. As a consequence, between 10,000 and 30,000 people disappeared. 500 women, at least, who were pregnant, were taken to concentration camps in military or police office. When the baby was born, the mother was killed and the baby was given to military or police families in most of the cases. Still today we are looking for those children, who today are adults. An organization called Grandmothers of Project Marshall had identified 120 20 today. There were around 400 areas, mainly military offices and police, where people were taken to torture. And the bodies were buried in different ways in cemeteries with no identification, in individual graves, when huge mass graves, which is complex. Usually a medical legal institute don't have to deal every day with something like this. It's a, a special operation, very complex, takes time, all the resources. Or in many cases, people were taken alive in these airplanes, and the airplanes flew over the river and the sea, and the bodies were dropped, and then appeared in the shores in these conditions. It's a map of the coast of Argentina and Uruguay with the bodies. In 1984, when democracy came back to my country, we decided to create this institution because the lack of trust of the families in the official forensic system. They didn't trust because they were part of the system in the past, or because they didn't have the capacity to exude a skeleton or to analyze a skeleton. For a forensic alternative for the families, with a multidisciplinary approach, with a special relation with the relative and the organization, 
And we understood from the beginning it was very important to investigate cases, but also to train uh, the people in the country. We work in different areas, in different structures. And since 1986, we received requests from other parts of the world who pass for these processes for investigate cases or to provide training or combination of both. So the work is divided, as I mentioned, in different states, investigation of the case, recovery of bodies, analysis of them, with two objectives, identifications and prosecutions. So one of the first activities, what is called preliminary investigation, we need to know what we are looking for. The context, history, developments, we need to have a clear relation with the families to collect what is called anti-modern information. Basically, it relates to the detention or kidnapping of someone until the body is found in a crime scene. What happened in the middle? How these people arrived here? We use written sources and oral sources to understand about the case. Official documents, administrative archives, interview with family members, uh, fellow activists, different kind of perpetrators. To try to reconstruct this sequence, someone disappeared or is killed and is buried. First at all, from where? From the house, from work, from the street, field, others. Who is a perpetrator? Police, army, guerrillas, paramilitaries. To where the body is taken? To an hospital, to a mortuary, to the field, the cemetery, where the body is buried. And who is in charge? It's a magistrate, prosecutor, according to the system. So with these documents and testimonies, we have an hypothesis where the bodies could be buried. But also we need to understand the modus operandi, which were the main groups operating in the country, killing and disappearing people, because sometimes they dispose the bodies in different ways. So we need to understand the modus operandi, how the people were kidnapped, to where were taken. But also very often, the state, the administrative machine of the state, process these bodies. For example, this is in Libyan, in Libya, 2011, after the fall of Gaddafi, were plenty of bodies of shallow graves in the city, Tripoli, and people took the bodies to the mortuary in the hospital, which is the usual place. People were looking for clandestine places, but not. The system processed the bodies as usual. But also we need lists of the disappeared, names, to identify people we need to names. And sometimes there are documents. For example, this is in Iraq in 2003, in Basra, when uh, US entered and the British to enter some security building, found lists with names of people executed by Saddam Hussein. Always there are documents. It's difficult to access, but they are present. Pictures of the missing, it can be recognized by family members. Documents, as I mentioned before, the bureaucratic machine of the state keeps working. But also we need to understand why the families don't trust in the state. 
because they don't like it or because how they have been treated. This statement is from a woman from Mexico. As you know, in Mexico for the last 20 years, women have been disappeared, and we use the term feminicide, and now it's extended around the world. This mother say when she went to the police station, after my daughter was found dead, the police and investigators told me that she was killed because she was wearing a short skirt and was pretty. So the victim was guilty. That's why I was killed. Also a woman in Colombia talking with investigators. I already provide blood samples to three different institutions. From the skeleton were taken five samples. And after two years waiting, I don't know the results. My father is dying without knowing what happened with our son. How do you want the family's trust in the system? So we need to change and to create a new relation with the families and the communities to renew that trust and to show that what we are doing is not a favor, is our obligation as state officials. Very often these are the kind of areas where this thing happen around the world, rural areas, where the states very often are not present. When the authority coming from the city is challenged when you arrive to those places. This is in Congo, when we arrive to investigate. These are the elders of the village, and they told us, we don't know about the judge in Kinshasa. We are authority here. Tell us what you want. So after we explain to them, they allow us to do the work. At the same time, families have to be prepared to listen to them that does questions, expectations. After meeting the family, the family will dream every day what is going to happen, how long it's going to take to receive a phone call or a report. Very often families don't have money. They don't have the luxury to take an airplane, to a bus, and to travel to the city. So we need to adapt the circumstances, what is possible to do, and to adapt to their possibilities. But also the level of lack of trust is huge in relation with the forensic system. This is a case from Mexico. The young lady is a woman who lost her father when he disappeared, and the man is a lawyer. For five years he was looking for her father, and the forensic system sent her from time to time to different places. Which soon a body, the supposedly was her father. We check the anti-motor information and very easy. We say it's not her father. And she told us, if you don't show me with the bones why it's not my father, I don't believe in you. So he entered to the mortuary with a dental record which planned to her. He said, I understand now. It's the first time I received a simple explanation about what happened, and I believe. But this is a situation very often. This is another example from South Africa. This young, these uh, women belong to a case called Mamelodi, where 10 teenagers were killed by security forces during the apartheid in South Africa. The bodies of these young boys were blown up in a bus. What we found was little pieces of bomb, just that, like 4,000. We were able to identify some of them of course, using DNA. When we talk with them, they said, how are I going to believe you 
when I saw my son full of life leaving my house, and now you tell me this little five centimeter piece of God is my son. Explain me that. So they came again to the mortuary, and with the bones we explained to them. They understand the DNA report, which is quite complex to understand. Sometimes forensic anthropologists and pathologists don't know how to read a genetic report, but the families understood, and they say, okay, we trust you. So this is the way to make science transparent and accessible to the families. Of course, we use databases to put information. It's impossible to work without databases, to cross data. But at the same time, we need to understand the exhumations, the time when our exhumations arrive, are not just technical operations. They have challenges, political level, security level, psychological, etc. In these cases, we are explaining to these families why we need to exhume the body and take it to the city, to the mortuary. This lady and the lad say, I buried my brother. Why you have to take it to the city? Because I saw the body, I think it's him. So we cannot take the body without any explanation. The same thing on the other side. Also families have right to pray before and after the exhumations. It's really uh, families get very annoyed when this is not done before the exhumation. There is nothing in the penal code about that. Nobody said to the magistrate, I have to authorize, no. But if we don't do it, the families are going to be very annoyed and the problems start. Also security. Very often, especially in rural areas, perpetrators are still living in the communities and they don't want investigations. So we need to be aware of that. And sometimes we have very complex forensic operation. There is a case with five mass graves with a large number of bodies. When we tell to the magistrates we need light, electricity, a tent, he said, I don't have any of those things. Who is going to pay for that? He asked money to my superiors, they're going to say, I don't have any money. So that's why we mentioned these cases are special and need a special procedure, special teams, special solutions. Technical operation of this, the condition of the body, from fresh to bones, number of bodies, location of the grave, logistics, access, security, families, cultural religious aspects, the authority, the media, um, the budget to do this, particularly for identification process. So we can deal with different scenarios, first bodies, mass graves, modus operandi, executions, different patterns. All this is evidence. All this could assist in linking a victim with a perpetrator. So how to approach these places? We need to special methods. Imagine a well. This is in Cyprus. Was wells have been used extensively to bury the victims of the mission. How do you think calling a medical legal institute or the police to go to dig to the well? 30 meters, 20 meters, we need an architect, we need an engineer, we need machines, we need time. So the times of these kind of investigations are different than the investigation of an ordinary crime. 
Also, we use new technologies to discover places, satellite pictures, geophysics machines who allow us to have a picture what is under the surface. And more and more, we rely on new technologies to document, to investigate, to analyze information about not only about the burial place, but also about the uh, locations and the information available. Today, as, uh, a telephone is one of the most important pieces of information. We can see modus operandi and to link the exhumation, the hands tied in the back, with the moment of the kidnapping. So all the aspects are related. The way of the people are killed. Going to identification, to establish the identification of a body, is the most challenging part of the forensic process. Unfortunately, lawyers, judges, prosecutors, police, very often do not understand the complexity of this. And they say, send a sample for DNA. And particularly in these cases, the condition of the body is very challenging. Usually we're talking about skeletons, about remains. And to recover DNA for bones is the most difficult part of the world. Many labs, DNA labs in the world, still can do it because the remains are contaminated, are degraded, and very few have the capacity to do it in, in all cases. Has to be multidisciplinary, forensic pathologists, forensic anthropologists, forensic ontologists working together. Never based only in DNA. We need to understand the context of the disappearance. Could be an open case or closed case. It's an airplane crash. We have a closed case. We have a list of victims and we have bodies. But as a village is attacked, we don't know it's only the people from the village or from the other village are present. Quality of the interview. The interview to a family to collect anti-mortem data. Minimum is two to three hours. And one interview is not enough. For example, if I disappear and you interview my parents, they know about me. But when I was 27, I left my parents' house. I went to live with my wife. So my wife will know the second part of my life and my parents only the first years. So a collection of information from the families is a complex process. So we mentioned the forensic team, pathologists, anthropologists, ontologists, and scientists. So today in the world, people talk about identification committees, where the scientific identification is decided by this scientific committee and when they finish, they produce a forensic integral report which goes to the magistrate and the magistrate takes the final decision about the identification, the legal identification. The magistrate could say, I am not happy with the scientific results, I want other analysis. But now we talk about identification committees, no one discipline decided. And we need special places. This is an anthropological lab in Abkhazia, where we are working. And you can see, well, those who know the mortuary, is not a mortuary, it's not enough. It's nothing as a, a mortuary with three or four tables. We need a space to display the bombs. The times are different. 
So also we need to think about infrastructure when we start working in massive case. A little bit about the identification, which is a process, not a moment. Usually identifications around the world of fresh bodies are done visually. We have limitations, family involvement, psychological difficult, preservation. It's not scientific. Also we use odontology, but also have limitations. Very often around the world, the people affected by these uh, disappearances live in rural areas without access to dentists or to hospitals. There is no records. Also, DNA, which is a wonderful tool, really carries a revolution, has limitations. Sometimes we don't have available relatives. A distant cousin is not as good as a parent for, uh, for identification. Or sometimes issues of paternity. The father is not the father. And that sample when we take and we trust is the father, the lab tells us this is not related biologically. So while we cannot tell to the family this is not father, they didn't provide the sample to find paternity, but to identify the loved one. To see it's complex how to use DNA. And also we have degradation and contamination and other limitations. And also about money, we have to be realistic. As a sample of a bone or a teeth to recover nuclear DNA, which is the DNA who identify, costs around 500 US dollars a sample, a piece of bone or tooth. If we have to go to mitochondria, which is DNA is coming from our mother, to complement the other, it could be $1,500, $2,000. So we need to think very well when we use DNA in which circumstances and as a last resource. So also, the DNA produced when working massive comparison, thousands of people, which is usually the case for missing, what is called false positives. There is a match but that match is adventitious by a genetic variation. So the result is telling you is a person, but it's not a person. And also we have false negatives related to affiliation issues. So today in the world, we work with an ideal model identification. We use all the available information to get the results. Finally, the moment of the summation is a critical moment for the families. They want to be present, to pray, to see. Very often they know, they're not sure their loved ones are there, but they respect the investigation. They wait until the results come. And at the same time, the burial ceremonies is a critical moment of the rituals we mentioned at the beginning. Doesn't matter the context, doesn't matter the religion, the cultural practice. All around the world want to play rituals, to bury the bodies with dignity, with respect, to have a place where they can visit whatever they want, and also somehow to reinsert the disappear in the society. So that's what is so important for the families to recover the remains and to bury them. Finally, lessons learned in these 40 years. We need political willingness. Without political willingness, it's very difficult to move.
creation of a special mechanism, as the OMP, with a proper budget, autonomous, with authority. Clear articulation with existing state institutions, how they're going to work together. The investigations are different than ordinary crimes. We know it's not enough of a criminal investigation, as usual. The role of the families of the victim is central in the process. It's the only way to get credibility and respect. The credibility and the trust, you don't get it with nice words, just with facts, concrete facts. The forensic system is needed the creation of a special multidisciplinary teams dedicated only to this kind of investigation. It's impossible to work in the daily cases at the same time these cases, not only DNA. The information has to be protected in different ways. Also the creation of forensic data banks. We always talk about genetic data banks. We need to create forensic data banks regulated by law with all the available information about the victims and about the bodies. We need to have always with a psychosocial support component in the process. But also we need to deal with expectations. Expectations of the families, but the expectation of the society. Always if these mechanisms are created, open a hope and expectation of the families. But the hope and the trust is not forever. We need to show results at some point. This is what the families are waiting. And also we have to deal with perpetrators, are free, very often don't want to the investigation move forward. And also we have to think about long-term processes. In my country, after 40 years, still we are looking forward to disappear. And families are still waiting for answers. This is not something to solve in five or ten years. We need to understand that. Thank you very much. This last image is in Kurdistan. The gentleman on the left loves his two children, Abel Saddam Hussein, and they want to do something for them. So when we were working, he asked, I can help. He said, yes, you can help. And this gentleman felt he was doing something concrete and assisting in the process. So that's why it's so important, critical, the role of the families and the right to know of the families. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you would like to hear more, follow the Groundviews channel on Anchor.